say that what uh, the, the specific types of information, I mean, uh, and I really am not at liberty to do that under the committee rules. Um, you know, there's texts, there's emails, there's radio traffic, there's all kinds of information, teams uh, uh, meetings. So we're going through everything that's been provided. More is coming in. As I say, some of it is not relevant and some of it is. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge slog to go through it, but we are going to go through it. And the members of the committee themselves have been involved in this, and we hope to have that completed, you know, soon. Season 3, Episode 3, The End of the Beginning. Welcome to Capital Insurrection Report, a podcast dedicated to news and analysis concerning the January 6th, 2021 Capitol attack on our nation's capital. I'm Scott Kuhn. The introduction to this week's show is from an appearance by Representative Zoe Lofgren of California, speaking in an MSNBC appearance on Wednesday, September 14th. Lofgren seems to be one of the members who is taking a lead role in the investigation into the missing text messages at the Trump Secret Service, and, although she was careful not to disclose too much, I feel she offered a pretty candid assessment of the kind of information that was recently handed over to the committee by the Secret Service. As you will hear, the format of this week's show is a little different from usual. As I asserted in the very first episode, episode one, season one, we are on a timetable to rescue electoral democracy in the United States from the specter of political violence and outright fascism. Although arrests have slowed down to a halt at the moment, developments in other areas have been accelerating to the point that it's difficult to keep track of them all. These are happening across every front, from the Trump Organization case, to the fake electors case, to the Secret Service scandal, to the Oath Keepers trial, to the Bannon case, to the Save America PAC case, to the Georgia case, and the recent reporting that some 40 or more subpoenas have been served to top Trump campaign and administration officials. So we are at the end of the beginning. Some key dates to keep in mind as we move forward. On Tuesday, September 27th, we are going to have the first tranche of Oath Keepers defendants, including Stuart Rhodes, stand trial in D.C. For reasons that I am sure you understand by now, this is a key case in establishing the link between Trump's inner circle and the mob itself. On Wednesday, September 27th, we will have the next public hearing of the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack. Now, I believe that this will be in prime time. If you're going, they are being very coy about this, but if you're going to have the final committee before you issue your report, then it ought to be in prime time. At some unspecified point in October or November, the committee has announced that it will share everything it has with the Department of Justice. And on Tuesday, November 8th, we have Election Day for the 2022 midterms. Now, I know that I probably sound like a bit of a broken record, but if you want clues as to what is upcoming, look to the places where the committee has been silent. Uh, the little phrase I've been using is look to the silences. See what they haven't been saying. So things like the evidence from the Green Team, which has been investigating 
the financial apparatus of funding efforts to overturn the election, the election disinformation, and of course, the January 6th rallies themselves. Including, by the way, I believe, and you know, as I've talked about uh, with regard to these violent men, perhaps even efforts to bring felons, people like Avery McCracken, um, to D.C. People who, you know, in some sense are very vulnerable, but also may have a predisposition, basically hiring thugs, right? Now, I know that this is something that, you know, probably some sedition hunters may disagree with, um, but I think that, you know, there's a lot of sort of anecdotal evidence to suggest that uh, there, were, there was an effort to recruit people who may not ordinarily take a strong interest in politics and uh, have them be part of the mob, indeed in many instances, part of the front lines of the mob. Uh, Exhibit 10, as I've talked about, the Vallejo discovery material, right? Haven't seen that come up. It's potentially explosive, and it's coming up in the Oath Keeper's trial on the 27th. So you've got the information from Sorrell where she talks about the pods at the RNC. She talks about Rudy Giuliani by name, right? So the campaign pod, the RNC pod, and a what she calls a QAnon pod, the back channel pod, which may involve, at some level, Flynn, right? General Michael Flynn, whose brother, of course, Charles Flynn, was in some way involved in the effort to stop the National Guard from being deployed in, in D.C., on January 6th. And so a lot of these things, what they have in common, are direct links between VIPs and the mob itself, right? Of course, I've talked about Avery McCracken. Um, there, there's, I've done a whole episode on my hypothetical list of men who came from long distances, have very modest means, and yet somehow um, have their travel accommodations paid for, people who are fundraising to get there. Who paid them? right? Who paid people like Tyler Etheridge, right? We know there was someone from uh, the area around his old Bible college in Colorado. Who paid for him? We don't know. And they have not mentioned this very much at all in any of the charging documents, nor in the committee. And I think that perhaps it's the time that we're going to get there. So they are preserving a lot of different kinds of evidence for use at trial. And I believe that this two-track investigation between the Department of Justice and the committee itself has been a very clever way to investigate this crime for over 18 months without the government having to really reveal its hand to the ultimate targets of the investigation in the hub-and-spoke conspiracy cases. So there's been so much happening that I believe points in this direction. But even when you're, you know, you're following, if you're listening to this show, of course, you're someone who's gotten an interest in preserving electoral democracy and have been following this closely, I'm going to just do a kind of a timeline, uh, a bit of an exegesis of the main news stories in the January 6th cases that came to light since just the beginning of August up to the present day. And I believe that these, these stories tell a consistent narrative that the Department of Justice and the committee are holding to a timetable, that we are reaching a point of, I want to say client love, yeah, so, you know, we are reaching a decisive point in this fight to preserve electoral democracy in America. So if I'm right, this could be the most consequential October in U.S. electoral history. But before we get to any of that, let's do the numbers. Uh, as always, sourced from Sedition Track.
There have been a total of 871 individuals charged, no change since the arrest of Kelly Sorrell. There have been a total of 393 indictments, up to six deceased, no change there, one dismissal, same, one acquittal, same, 414 convictions, an increase of 13 since the last tally, and 258 sentencings, an increase of four since the last tally. And so we are at a low point with regard to new arrests, really unprecedented. Uh, there have not been a period this long without any new arrests, I think. I mean, there have been a couple of times we've come close. Um, of course, you will recall Season 3, Episode 1, dealt with this slowdown over the course of the summer. I touched on it again in the last episode, and now it's ground to a halt entirely. So, what's happening? Well, again, I think we can safely say they're not done, and some of the slowdown is probably attributable to developing new cases against the various VIP defendants, the organizers, the plotters, the fraudsters, etc., moving ultimately all the way up the food chain. And now we have a special treat. Although I haven't done interviews in the past, um, I thought maybe it would be a good time to actually have a little bit of back and forth. And so Bigfoot, a sedition hunter, uh, anonymously of course, uh, graciously agreed to grant me an interview. Uh, in the upcoming segments, we discuss where the January 6th investigations are at the current time, uh, what the significance of developments are with regard to what I would say is a kind of a change in attitude uh, with regard to how President Biden has been handling the public campaign with regard to with midterms, but also the effort to save democracy, and also some really interesting insights uh, that Bigfoot has to offer on sedition hunting in general, and how it has proceeded with regard to working with the FBI and the government in getting cases uh, before the DCD. So, uh, hopefully you'll enjoy that. Afterwards, I will go through uh, kind of a, a litany of what has been happening over the last six weeks in the January 6th investigation and also other developments that I think are kind of significant because part of what has happened is that so much has happened. Um, there's It's actually rather difficult to keep track of it all, even if you are really assiduously keeping track of it all. Um, and this will be a little bit different than what I usually do in my news wrap-ups because usually I include links to all the stories. There's honestly just too many to put in the show notes. Um, if you're curious, contact me on Twitter, and I can send you links to all these different stories. Uh, but most of it you can just find out yourself, right? Google is a thing that exists. So hopefully you will enjoy this interview with Bigfoot, and I'm thinking about possibly doing other interviews uh, with other persons. Uh, so here we are. Hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, for those of you who are wondered, mystified by the fact that I have a, another person here on the podcast, I'm actually not a person. Uh, it is a Sasquatch from the Pacific Northwest. Um, 
We are talking with Bigfoot, a sedition hunter who perhaps a Yeti, open source intelligence Yeti. Um, I did see Harry and the Hendersons, and I was around in the 70s to watch In Search of with Leonard Nimoy. So I feel like I, I know. not. I've <laughs> <laughs> uh, spent a lot, of, a lot of wonderful nonsense on syndicated television then. <laughs> For me, that's that's kind of ancient history. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> you know, this this happens. Uh, it's something that you have to look forward to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Aging is so much fun. Yeah. It, it beats the alternative in any event. <laughs> so we've actually been, been talking about doing this for some time, and I actually thought that this would be a good opportunity to try to do it um, because of everything that's been going on. And one of the things that I really appreciated about the uh, sedition hunting or open source sleuth community is just how knowledgeable everyone is about this whole series of cases. And they've been personally a, a great check on me, kind of the wisdom of the crowd, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And do you find that as well? Oh, yeah. I don't think this would be all the things that we have done of them would be possible without the the crowdsourcing aspect of it because everyone has brought something um you know to the the metaphorical table and i think many of us have found talents or skills that we never knew we had before <laughs> um during this yeah so it's it's been an experience yeah, and one of the neat things is it seems like many different sedition hunters tend to specialize in different kinds of defendants, different categories of defendants. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, do you, do you feel like you have that or just are you kind of a generalist? I've been kind of a generalist from the start. Um, a lot of what I feel I've done is more of a support role for people who are doing maybe some of more heavy lifting on identification and so on. So I have so much just kind of like background knowledge of locations, of timing, and what a particular person might have been doing through the day. Um, but I haven't specialized in, in, in one group like Proud Boys or Oath Keepers is just kind of like they're they're all the same to me. <laughs> yeah. Or or patches or uh, any of the various things that you know. I guess there are probably some people just stare at video all day. And mm -hmm. To me, I, I've I've looked at it a little bit, and all these guys look the same, right? It's all these middle-aged mm -hmm. white guys, pasty, mm -hmm. very mm -hmm. angry, dressed in <laughs> costumes. <laughs> doing things that I was scolded a toddler for. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real problem when you're trying to identify people and they all look they all look <laughs> so much the same. Oh no, it's a bearded white man. <laughs> you know? like, can you not hat. have a convenient mole to, you know, to just settle this once and for all? Like, come on. No, you're I'm... just not another bald angry white guy. Exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's my demographic. So um, I'm an overweight, middle-aged, uh, bald man with a beard. So well, sorry, um, I, didn't, I don't want to insult your audience, but you're very hard to identify. No, that, that, that 
No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm out there. That's the funny thing. It's, I do this. I'm publicly. You can figure out who I am quite readily. Mm-hmm. Not you um, specifically. I mean, just. Oh yeah. The the bald. Oh yeah, no right. You're yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, no. Yeah, I I'm, I'm apparently with the wrong crowd. I need to just start hanging out with these guys. Put on a, <laughs> you know, get a holster. I uh, get a right the people tattoo, and I, I would be as invisible as Frank the Turtle. Yeah, you could um, infiltrate. Yeah, yeah. So much fun. Would. No, it it wouldn't. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, are there any other things you'd like to share about your, your background or the, the work that you've done, um, you know, with, with regard to this this whole uh, long and probably will go on for, for another eight years process God, until the yeah. statute of limitations runs out? <laughs> Don't remind me how long. Oh, my well, goodness. And there's appeals, right? Then there's, mm-hmm. there's people trying to get out of jail. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot, yeah. Yeah, it, it never ends. Yeah, it's it's going to be never ending. Um, about myself, can you be more specific? Because I, I, no, I'm no, just, no, like, no, it's no, so it's I'll so just, broad. Like, what yeah, about I, myself is relevant here? I no, well, well, part of it is, is uh, look, I'm not an interviewer, right? I, uh, I mean, and unfortunately, I mean, just kind of I lecture, right? Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's, that's what I do. I mean, I mean, even naturally in the classroom, I try to run a seminar, and it's me. <laughs> I, and my, my wife chides me for this. So I'm really, I'm asking about you and what are your feelings kind of at this moment engaged in this huge crowdsource project? Um, what motivates you? And why are you still here? Why am I still here? September yeah, no, that, that is something I I have been giving a lot of thought to recently. Why, why am I still here? Am I crazy for doing this? Because to me, a lot of this is really abstract. I've never been to Washington, D.C. Um, none of these people I've ever met or ever will meet. Um, so it's uh, kind of a mind trip sometimes to, to think about, like, what am I, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> this is not my circus. This is not my monkeys. What am I doing? <laughs> um but I think, I mean, what, what keeps me in is one, just the, the importance of the work that I do see it as um, very important. And I, I do see that I have a place within you know, the context of the whole thing, um, my, 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 small, my small part. Um, and I think the the second thing that keeps me in is honestly the the relationships that I've developed over the past year and a half. It's you know I've developed friendships, and um, that that emotional connection means a lot to me. Well, and I want to thank you for your service in defending electoral democracy from <laughs> the danger of fascist political violence because that's what we're faced with. Right. Um, I spent part of my childhood from 79 to 86 in Berlin, and I would constantly look oh. at the older generation. And a lot of people, you know, would talk about, well, actually, many of people's, my friends' grandparents didn't talk about it as much. Right. But at least a lot of the things that I would read would be people talking about um, how they didn't realize that it was yeah. going to get as bad as it did. 
yeah. uh, and then you know there's street fighting in the streets of berlin mm-hmm. that things of that nature and you mm-hmm. know i mean uh, the, the warning signs were there and there are many politically active people of course who were actively participating mm-hmm. um, but nonetheless you know there's that saying right whatever you you think you were you know what were people doing in weimar right. germany well we're doing yeah. it now right? we're doing it now yep Yes. Uh, yeah, that, that's a big part of it. Um, because, you know, when, when Trump was elected, I, I was one of those people just crying because I was afraid of where we were heading at that moment. And I hoped that our institutions, you know, would hold and, um, that, uh, we would come out of this without too much (laughs) damage. (laughs) But as we can see, that's this not has not been the case. Um, anyway, we, we watched our our country devolve over those four years to the point where the, the president attempted a coup, and uh, he's still he's still out there uh, trying again in a way through the courts and everything. And the, the sort of the road show they've got going, right? Like we reawaken America, justice for J Six, Scott right. Pressler, Brandon Straka, mm-hmm. CPAC, inviting Victor Orban of all people. Yeah, I mean, just so many alarm bells. Yes, um, and it's just it's it's it does it's really hard to watch. Um, all this happen. It does take like a toll on my mental health. Um. Watching all these people who have been so involved with organizing the coup and all the violence that has happened over the past five or six years, and they've still barely seen any consequences whatsoever. Which honestly, I think almost segues very nicely into my sort of my theme. For this episode which I'll, I'll get to a moment which is i think we're getting there i think that you know and, yes. and i know that there are people who are on the other side who's like this is never going to happen <laughs> um merrick garland you know is terrible and this well mm-hmm. okay whatever you think yeah. of merrick garland let's look at christopher ray right i mean but okay um, yeah. you know the, yeah. the, the actual trumpist guy <laughs> right you know i totally i totally get that feeling because i feel that way a lot too it's just like the urgency of the moment is really pressing but i also know that like the bureaucratic process and the department of justice is slow i didn't expect it to be this slow but <laughs> it's, it's 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 um it's there and it's working very slowly, slowly. very slowly slowly i keep thinking they, they should add judges to the, the dc district court because it appears they didn't add, they didn't add so, so many people. And I think the problem is a big part of it is like, you don't, there's only so many judges in the, in the country. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, only, they, there's only so they many lawyers. <laughs> and they, they can't keep the courts open 24 hours a day, like mm-hmm. the 7-Eleven of justice. Right. You know, uh, although maybe that's where we're headed. The 7-Eleven of justice. Open 24 yeah. Hours. That was, that would speed things up. <laughs> Can the judges work overnight? <laughs> so I mean, the, the work is ongoing, um, mm-hmm. and it, it, I mean, it is. You know, you look at cordless and just like just your random parading case, 
you see mm -hmm. how many motions and filings, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of staggering. And mm -hmm. if, if you read a lot of these, of course, a lot of it's cut and paste jobs, right? There was that mm -hmm. standard group of pages at the beginning, which seems to be getting shorter and <laughs> um, <laughs> different agents who write different things. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so some of it's pro forma, but there's just so much work that has to be done because everything has to stand up in court. Yeah. Yep. Now, what, one of the things I thought was one of the main reasons when we talked about this, I thought you've done a number of interviews uh, when mm -hmm. the media, they had this little phase where they thought, oh, there's this thing. Yeah. There's, these people are coming up in court documents. And, yeah. And it's really super cool. novel and weird. And just what's going on? <laughs> and then what happened? They just kind of forgot. Yeah. Well, I think um, that might have been a little bit by design on Decision Hunter's part because I can't speak for everyone, but the vast majority of us don't like attention. <laughs> well, the good thing is that's that's basically the only people who listen to this podcast. So <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's just Sedition Hunters, the, the, the lawyers for the defendants, and uh, <laughs> a couple of Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. But that's it. That's all. <laughs> Shout out to those keepers and proud boys. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I find it strange. Like, there was something today that happened that, that really put me in mind of it. I mean, first off, when uh, there was a tweet that went out, and this just happened, it's not even in my notes, um, mm -hmm. but a tweet went out from the January 6th committee uh, saying that the January House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attack has obtained they didn't say Zillow, has mm -hmm. retained re recordings of what the right. keepers were saying inside the yeah. Capitol. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay. Great. Yes, they, they, they took that, they took the, the Zillow recording and they overlaid it. The, the footage actually that they took, I believe, is relatively recently released. Um, we only got that this week. So that is actually what's new. But the Zillow recording is not. Is not it's like it's a pastiche it's yeah. like there's something new but the thing that they're saying is new isn't the yeah. thing that's new and yeah. the thing that's new isn't identified as something I, right and so then there was an article in rolling stone by tom dickinson who's a journalist whose work i respect who's done some great things on january 6th headline new recordings from oath keepers yeah what i'm like check with somebody you know mm -hmm. what i mean it's like so they were they were talking to sedition hunters for a little while mm -hmm. you know it's like okay if you're you're on this beat and you're obsessed with it and there's some great journalists doing some great work but mm -hmm. maybe ask somebody be mm -hmm. like hey is this not literally one of the very first things that we got open source right. on like january 15th from wnyc well, I think I think what it is, I, I don't know exactly, but I think a big part of it is how badly journalism has been slashed. And so I I would guess that like the fact checker position, you know, that that detail oriented anal kind of person that would fill my kind of role. Uh doesn't exist anymore <laughs> or it might not existed. exist yeah hasn't existed in 20 years right uh, not for yeah. a while it's been it's been gone for a while so 
you have journalists trying to pump out these you know attention getting headlines and it's all about the clicks and the attention and um less so about the total accuracy of what they're saying so it's just um uh, an ongoing issue <laughs> one of the things i, I also think it's, it's kind of neat looking forward um do you you obviously you read the charging documents right yeah most of them and so you look through it, it's like you can see and sometimes identify oh yeah i followed that person i know who did that yeah and especially with some of the graphics that uh different people do mm-hmm. um it's like they're doing better work for free than the mm-hmm. fbi who are supposed to have these resources mm-hmm. and and it, it, so it's, it's kind of weird where we haven't reframed it. It's like, okay, we, we have these standards for our journalism, but it, it's not meeting it. We have mm-hmm. these standards for law enforcement. Eh, forensic files is not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, it's, it's an educative process, I guess. Yeah, it's been depressing. <laughs> yeah. And then they get things wrong, right? Yeah. Um, like, yeah, you know, I, was, I was reading, like, the, you know, Youth Keepers, I read that, the whole ex- exhibit that was in the Vallejo Discovery material, and they mentioned one of them, uh, Wilson, by name in Exhibit mm-hmm. 10, which is something that I've obsessed with. And, like, the very next day they announced it, they had to charge him because they forgot to react redact this guy's name. Yeah. Know? And somewhere in the FBI, it's like, you had one job. You know? <laughs> but they didn't know. No? Yeah. No, and then they got Kelly Sorrell's name wrong in it, and they had her down as Kelly Meggs, who's not even a woman. <laughs> um, definitely not. You know, I mean, doesn't sound like a woman. You know, anyway. yeah, doesn't look like a woman. I mean, this was a transcript of a video conference. I don't know how they did that. So. Too, too much work. I, I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, there was a name of the transcription service at the bottom of the page, and they. They sent it out. They they, they mm. don't do that in house. They shop it out to somebody. Oh, yeah. um, so there may have been a list of participants and uh, yeah, I, I don't even know. Well, I I, I heard this I heard this quote recently that's so true. I think what did I I don't know where I heard it um, that you can you can pay a person to do a job, but you can't pay them to, to give a damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, well, and. and Maybe you're a fast typist, but you don't necessarily haven't been adequately briefed mm-hmm. on, you know, because I mean, there are little things that like, for example, phonetically, if you understood the context, you would know, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like they transcribed RNC as INC. Mm-hmm. And in another part of the document, they got it right. It's like, that's really curious. <laughs> it's like they're talking about working with the RNC. Talking, it's like it's the INC. I don't even know. That's got to be an acronym for something other than incorporated. Yeah, yeah. And then conspiracy theories get spun off of the strangest little things. And just just like just like it's just like a typo, guys. Like it's it's just it doesn't mean the lizard people are in charge if the, the, the court documents have some typos in it and. Or you're a sovereign citizen and your name is in all caps. And yeah. you're, you're a flesh and blood man and there's gold fringe on the flag. And right. the Rosicrucians made a contract with the USSR. 
Yeah. And we're, for some reason, all owned by Mark Zuckerberg now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's why, I mean, I'm, I'm just continually impressed where, you know, I read through these and I'm like, wow, that's, you know, the, the work that has been, and, and but it's gotten to the point now where there's so much that I, I feel as you can attribute directly to sedition hunters that when I see evidence of actual police work done by the FBI, I'm like, good job. That's impressive. <laughs> you guys are really on your game. Yeah. Well, it's always, I mean, a lot of it's a mix. I, I don't want to say it's all sedition hunters. It's not for sure. No. Um, but even the research work is, is a mix of, of us and the, the FBI. So it's, it's, um, yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of it, like, <laughs> for example, the geofence cases, for example, mm -hmm. um, you started seeing those several months ago where it's like, they're getting, there's, they're moving them through. And it appears that the initial identification came entirely through the geofence and the electronic records and subpoenas to different wireless service providers. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how many of these unidentified, random, angry middle-aged white men, they, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm sure not everybody turned their phone off. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are a lot of these guys outstanding that they have and they just, mm -hmm. they, they can't process them or, well, well yeah. unless, you know, they, they probably run into this problem is where they might have, you know, this person on the geofence. Um, uh, but, you know, they go to interview that person and says, oh, I didn't do anything. I just kind of walked in and I looked around and I, I, I left and, you know, I'm, they didn't do anything. And they can't really dispute that because maybe that person was like all covered up when they're in there. And so it's like, who, who's who? Because there's people that we, we still haven't unmasked. We still don't have their faces. They're, they're very careful. We don't know what's under that. So matching up uh, this person who might have had their phone on but was careful to cover up their face is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I've talked about this. Uh, like, And some of them, it's like in the, was it the Sayre case where uh, this is the blue-haired uh, for a defendant from Pacific Northwest, Lilith, I believe. Yes. And it's, like, yep. and it's like, and you can tell, it's like, and there's some of them where it's like, they make an identification or identification is given to them. They do an interview and then that's pretty much it. And yep. then there's some of them where it's like, just step after step after step. We interviewed his mm -hmm. mom, we went to his place of work. We, and it's like, and they don't really explain like why, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, why there's like different standards where sometimes they just do three things and they, they file charges. And then sometimes mm -hmm. we have to do 40 things and now we're comfortable charging this person. Yeah. I have no answer for that. I have no idea. <laughs> it is, it is a mystery to me. Um, yeah. Well, and there's some <laughs> them, I think that, that the, uh, they're just more long winded, right. And they just, they're, they're just comfortable yeah. writing more. You know, some of them just leave me hanging. It's like, I want more. Yeah, right. I want more. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do see that some of them are more thorough than others, and I don't I don't know why. 
I don't know why that is. Um, it's just personality or management styles or something. I don't know. Um, but it is, it is interesting to watch because prior to you know, January 6th, I wasn't, I wasn't watching <laughs> the FBI and all their court filings. I was not looking at them that closely ever. Um, so it's been a learning experience seeing the process and watching everything happen. Cause I don't, I don't think the FBI themselves is maybe used to having like thousands of people read their court filings. Absolutely not. Right. It's like, um, there's that section of the library that you go down. that has got the federal register mm-hmm. um, and nobody reads it. Nobody reads mm-hmm. any of that stuff, you know, and every decision and process that the government does um, you know, there's a, there's a manual, there's policy mm-hmm. and, you know, it's like, we're looking at all this stuff. Well, for all we know, they've, I don't know, we do They've got all this policy of everything that they need to do in order to file charges. And, you know, that's not transparent. Yeah. You can't really see that. Um, you know, there's different formatting things, I mean, all kinds of stuff. You know, and even like you can track over time how the charging documents have changed. And there, there are identifiable documents where that they've changed the phrases over time. And mm-hmm. you can look at you say, okay, this is page one from a new case. Mm-hmm. And then this is page one case from a case six months ago. Mm-hmm. But then there are new charges filed and it's, it's a page one from a case way you know and it's like yeah okay all right well i guess somebody unsealed something here you know yeah yeah you can kind of tell when something was written a long time ago um and it just took them this long to whatever whatever trigger they're waiting for (laughs) right which is you know part of why i think it is ongoing now um i mean what do you have i know i've I've, i don't know if you listen to the show uh but there's, I, I, I think I last couple of episodes just speculated about the slowdown of the summit, mm-hmm. and now the absolute draw that we've yeah. seen ever since the arrest of Kelly Sorrell, it seems as though the FBI is kind of either saying we're done, this is it, or no. they need something else. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're done. Um, I don't know the reason for the slowdown, but I don't think they're done. Um, if I, I, I just to like randomly speculate, it could be anything from some vacation time to the resources being put somewhere else for a while to, uh, I, I don't know. I have no idea, but I don't think they're done. Right. No, I agree. I agree with you. I was just, I will entertain a, a, a bad alternative hypothesis yeah. in order to reject it. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I did want to actually talk about, um, if you're comfortable with it, I, I actually, I recorded like 10 minutes of intro before this. I, you know, I do the numbers every episode where I talk about how many people have been charged and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to talk about like what I, I find to be a really odd coincidence. So like some key dates that we've got ongoing now. Okay. Um, so you'll notice that uh, you've got the Oath Keepers trial on, I believe, the 27th. That should be in my notes, but it's only something that occurred to me after I, I wrote all my notes. And then the very next day, you've got 
the January 6th hearing. Mm -hmm. And then the DOJ has, uh, sorry, the committee has announced that sometime, either in October or November, they haven't specified, they're going to share everything they have in all the cases with the Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you have Election Day, November 8th. So well, the only thing I can speculate, only thing I can speculate there is that the DOJ will probably not do that as soon as they think, and it'll probably be more like January, February. <laughs> the only safe bet is that it's going to take longer than they think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is, that is depressing. That that's a see. I I've been trying to devise a timetable since day one, and just uh, you know, in kind of autistically imposing an order where perhaps one doesn't exist. Right. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, like, I go way back. I mean, okay, I mean, a couple of things have happened differently. I expected a commission, not a committee. Mm -hmm. I, the way the committee has worked has been far superior to the way any commission could have worked. We had to get bipartisan consensus and all oh, that shit's gone. You're done. You're yeah. Don't need any of that. Just run it through House rules. And House rules, by the way, it's just, it's anti democratic. It's purely majority mm -hmm. And then, so that, that's been great, but everything else has been leading up to the midterms, you know, and there are people who say, well, it's political and politicization is bad. And my point is not when you're defending democracy, when yeah. one of the parties is anti-democratic, you have to fucking make sure they lose. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the things that the, the other party is is trying to push through is unethical, illegal, immoral, all these things. And so that's the point where you have to finally say, like, either you're for democracy or you're against it. And there's just, there's just, it's just a really bright line. Like to me, the bright line was a very long time ago. I started becoming act, an activist in like 2017 um but i felt that you know if january 6th wasn't a wake-up call for you i kind of despair <laughs> of you ever waking up and seeing oh um they're trying to actually destroy actual america or actual democracy yeah, and, and that's one of the things where I think, you know, I, I am, I'm the pro-Garland guy, right? Um, maybe I'm not as pro-Garland as some people. Uh, I, I do have some skepticism about the, the ability of our institutions to hold. Mm -hmm. I, I agree to your earlier point. I think a lot of what we've seen is like, we have this idea that our institutions are great, but really mm -hmm. cultures, norms, and personnel are mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so it's like, individuals working on a volunteer basis can make a difference and people mm -hmm. working in these government agencies that everybody forgets about mm -hmm. they also make a difference mm -hmm. and what we've seen is like what an absolutely unconstrained administration can do mm -hmm. and then i keep thinking about my god it could have been worse like mm -hmm. you, you still got the Hirschmans, you still got the hutchins you still you know and i don't want to excuse these people who enabled him for years but bless them at this point Mm -hmm. you know like at right. this point yeah i'm like i find myself rooting for for pat Philbin 
who's someone I hated for years because he <laughs> helped me endorse actual torture in the name of the United States. Yeah. Yes, it, it, it is kind of difficult sometimes to accept allies of, with people who have done things or advocate for things that you consider deeply immoral. Um, but that's how bad it's gotten. Well, I find myself where... on the same side, war crimes and violation of international law. I'm yeah. cool with it. Just give me the dirt. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a, a temporary ceasefire of like, okay, guys, if if we don't pull it together right now, things are going to get super ugly really fast. And I don't think any of us really want that. So can we can we band together on just this one thing? <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, I mean, and apparently, um, that was, I mean, that's one of the things that happened, like, on, on August 16th, the New York Times reported that both Cipollone and Philbin were interviewed by federal authorities, mm -hmm. and that Philbin got interviewed sometime in the spring, um, which is, you know, it's kind of like a lot of times bringing this news, and these are things that have happened months ago, and it's only, mm -hmm. we're only learning about it now. Yeah. Um. And I think that's one of the things that we're not used to. We have this expectation of instantaneous knowledge, right? But we have a DOJ and an FBI that are working on a timetable, the legal timetable, right? Which most, most of us aren't familiar. Yeah, and they they can't just go to the press and say everything they know for very obvious reasons. <laughs> but so no, actually, it's, it, it's not obvious, right? It's not obvious. I mean, it's, it's not obvious. Okay, it, I guess it's obvious that, to me, yeah. but I'm this really into an, a person with the process, but um, I could see it not being obvious to someone who's just like, why can't you just like lay it all out? Write this now. Right now. Rest them right now. And I just think back and I was just like, no, nah, okay. You know, let's just like fantasize for a moment. Uh, we arrived to January 7th, 2021 and, and think, um, you know, the FBI arrests Trump right then. What would happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, chaos, absolute chaos. It would be bad. Like they wouldn't have the evidence lined up. They would have arrested technically the president. Um, you would still be president. You'd be sitting president in prison. Right. So it's just like, that's it's just so um, un unprecedented. I mean, we've, we've heard that word a lot recently. Unprecedented. And even though that's emotionally satisfying, I think ultimately it would have been way more harmful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything is absolutely unprecedented at, at this point. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely absolutely right yeah um but you know I, so i mean i've been i've been like kind of pleased where they i mean I, on one hand i you know i thank god for nancy pelosi i mean this committee structure this mm -hmm. dual track investigation has been genius where mm -hmm. the doj largely has stuck with these low level cases so far mm -hmm. the committee is doing a lot of the higher level investigations and it's pretty apparent that 
they're just going to hand over ready-made cases prepared by actual former made, former prosecutors to the DOJ at some point in the next month or two. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people in the media understand that. Mm -hmm. But that's my theory, right? Mm -hmm. That's just my cockamamie theory. I have no sources at the DOJ. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, but I, 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 this was like a timetable I came up with like soon after they, the committee came out in the summer of 2021. And it's like this part of it's worked. But mm -hmm. it's like I don't know how much of it is confirmation bias, mm -hmm. you know? But I, it's like, I'm not afraid to be wrong. I'll put that out there. But <laughs> on the other hand, like, I don't know. Could be nothing's going to happen, right? They just created a president's uh, country club where he lives, and mm -hmm. they're not going to do anything. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that. I think that they are definitely committed to doing something. I mean, I come back to the idea of, like, people on the committee, um, you know, they were there inside the Capitol when it was attacked. So what they're doing is investigating their own attempted murder. <laughs> um, so I think they're very motivated to um, investigate that in whatever way they can. Um, I think what, what runs up into what we run up into is that so much of this is so horribly unprecedented that we're off the map we there's no it's hard to understand what the law is on this because i think it was hardly ever anticipated that the president would do something like this to his own country and that yep. not only that that so much of his party would just roll over and say, okay. Right. Like they, they, most of the party, it was just kind of like, they made like a little bit of token resistance at the beginning. It was like, oh yeah, that was bad. And then they, and then within like a couple months, they rolled over except for a few exceptions. They just. Right. And and, I, 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 sorry. No, go ahead. I, I still find myself like listening to people like Bill Crystal, right. Who I've hated for years and be like, yeah, Bill Crystal's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's a handful, right, who, yeah. whose, whose original commitment to democracy and the Constitution was legitimate. Joe Walsh, I can't stand that guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Eagles Joe Walsh, good. This Joe Walsh, you know. But now I'm like, Joe Walsh is an ally. The hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 difficult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we're just. It's just such a it's it's a no man's land of I don't think anybody really knows where we're heading exactly. No one can predict the future, and there's certainly people who are trying their best, but ultimately what we have is a government that is made out of people, and you know they're not omniscient or on opponent they're not, not they're not gods or to make gods um but i do believe that they are they are trying they are they are sincerely trying um to yeah to to overcome this moment i think i think that's very sincere will they succeed i have no i have no idea right now 
it's it's very scary. It's a very scary time to be alive. Um, a very scary time to be involved <laughs> with government or anything related to the federal government right now because of just how militant um, the right wing resistance has become. Hello. And, and hello. Uh, we're back with Bigfoot. Hi. Open Source Intelligence Yeti. Um, so I, I hope that segment recorded. I, I, I'm not positive that it did. It usually does something. I hope so too, because I, I don't think I just like spontaneously replicate that. No, no. Uh, yes, okay. So <laughs> let's start from the beginning and go back. No, okay. Uh, we're fine. Uh, what I want to talk about with you was a little bit of, of where we are in the course of the, the January 6th uh, series of events. Mm -hmm. So I went through back from the beginning of August all the way to the present. And I, because I think it's hard to track like everything, mm -hmm. you know, like even if you're obsessed with it, mm -hmm. taking notes, basically. Yeah. So and, much happens like all the time, every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every day. Like, it, well, there are some days, yeah. And then yeah. there's some days where, where six things happen. Um, but as I did this, there are a couple of themes that I'd like to run by you. Um, one of them is that dark Biden is rising. <laughs> yeah. He was radio silent on January 6th. If it was, if I were president, if I were advising him on messaging, I would say, hammer this. They tried mm -hmm. to take down democracy. It would have mm -hmm. been from inauguration day every every day of my presidency or you know mm -hmm. if i was advising someone that's what i would do he's he really i don't think has been until very recently yeah no i can actually kind of understand why he wouldn't i'll be the, the opposition here um just thinking through like kind of an, an, an establishment establishment lens my tongue did not quite get all that. Um, that the precedent, the precedent, not president, but precedent of of presidents is to not really attack the person who came before you. Um, so, in the beginning, Biden gave Trump kind of that unwarranted respect <laughs> he, he was trying to play the high road now that enough evidence has come out of just how low trump has gone i see biden coming out and going yes he went so low that the normal precedents about precedents <laughs> That could be a title. Pres president Presidential <laughs> precedents. Yes. <laughs> um, that, that Trump went so low that the gloves come off. Like, at this point, may maybe Biden thinks that, like it's been proven well enough to enough of the public 
because not everyone pays as close attention as we do to this. But maybe he has this feeling that to the public, enough has been proven that Trump went so low that normal norms don't apply here. I think so. I think that, that there's, there's some truth to that. And of course, Biden has enormous uh, respect for the office of the presidency. All he's mm -hmm. ever wanted to do, basically, since he his first Senate run has to be president. Mm -hmm. And he's president now. And so mm -hmm. he's also been driven by policy, I think, that a lot mm -hmm. of the silence has been maybe the idea that, well, just focusing on January 6th so much would be counterproductive for, for policy grounds. And when I looked at his policy agenda, yeah. Like, you know, I, I think that Biden, like 2020 Biden would have, would have, 2022 Biden would have opposed 2020 Biden in the primary for being too liberal, you know, <laughs> or, or vice versa. Like he would attack himself from, from the left at this point, or the, you know, I like his policy agenda has been like, you know, this is like Bernie Sanders stuff, you know, and yeah. like, I'm, I, well, I really like it. But yeah, good. Exactly. good. <laughs> so, I, so there, I mean, that's one theme that Biden has really showed up in a big way, and I, I actually want to highlight. Um, and of course, he's in he's in campaign mode now. Hmm. Um, but on August thirtieth, for example, he he spoke in Wilkes, Wilkes I always want to say Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, and he said, uh, "quote And look, you know." If we're in a situation where, to this day, the MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th, defend mm -hmm. them. You all saw it. I don't mm -hmm. care how frustrated you are. And in every speech, he's done this. And mm -hmm. in September 1st, he gave his rousing speech that none of the networks covered, the Soul of America speech at mm -hmm. Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Yeah. And... That was just for me such a, an amazing moment. Yeah. And yet, you know, <laughs> the networks never, but who cares? Networks don't matter anymore. Nobody gets their information there today anyway. Do they? I, I, I still don't understand exactly how much networks matter because, I mean, I, I am a younger person. So to me, I get my news on the internet and I don't, I've, I've actually never had cable. I've never purchased or subscribed to a cable subscription. So to me, cable doesn't matter at all. Let alone broadcast. Right. But I know there's, you know, other people in the world besides me okay. <laughs> that are older and that they, they do rely on cable networks for their news. Um, how much does it matter these days? I think that's something that's a really big thing that's up in the air as the population ages and the trends of the younger generations that don't watch traditional television at all, that their entertainment comes on Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, internet stuff, YouTube, all that stuff. And as they become adults, do you respect that and take that seriously <laughs> and acknowledge that and understand that like this is this is what's happening? You can't stop it. The cable networks are 
fade fade out. They're they're all trying to appeal to the same older demographic, and that, you know, yeah. explains some of what we've seen recently with CNN. <laughs> um, yeah. I also, the, I, the the other thing is that I find myself relying more on their their websites. A lot of the mm -hmm. broadcast networks have great websites. I may never you know watch broadcast TV anymore. Mm -hmm. but I rely on them. Uh, for news, because like, like a lot, a lot of everything else is cable. But you know, NBC is is not cable, and on all the major networks, you still get your news from them online for free. They're competing with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, the third speech I want to highlight, and would you mind if I play the clip? Sure, go ahead. Uh, this is Biden's speech in uh, Milwaukee on Labor Day. And I, I think, again, the media didn't really cover this one as much, but partly because uh, they, they actually, they, they did cover his remarks, but they didn't give the context. The context was a heckler interrupted the last part of his speech. And just so happens, my dog is snuffling in my arms. <laughs> um, it, he, he was interrupted by a heckler and for all the, the, the crap that they give Biden about not being sharp, mm -hmm. I thought he handled it beautifully. So here is the clip. Let me close with this. We're a serious moment in our nation history. And it's not high pride. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. As I said last week, we remain in the battle for the soul of America. By the way, all right, God love you. Let him go. Let him go. No, 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 don't let, let him go. Let him. He's, look, everybody's entitled to be an idiot. No, no, <laughs> everybody's done. Okay, look. Extreme MAGA Republicans don't just threaten our personal rights and our economic security. They embrace political violence. Look. No, look, the reason, I'm not talking all Republicans. I'm talking about these extreme MAGA Republicans. Think about it. Think about it. The definition of democracy is you accept the will of the people when the votes are honestly counted. These guys don't do it. Name me a democracy in the world where a leader argues to engage in violence. To this day, MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol. People died there. Senator Johnson said it was, a, by and large, a peaceful protest. Have you seen the videos, what happened that day? Listen to the stories of the members of both parties of Congress and the jeopardy they were put in. Cops attacked and assaulted, speared with flagpoles, sprayed with mace, mm -hmm. stomped down, dragged, brutalized. Police lost their lives as a result of that. And the MAGA Republicans and your senior senators said it was a peaceful protest. Folks. I'm if you could hear that, but the crowd was booing at a couple of points. They were booing at the right points. Yeah, I heard, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so I mean, I, you know, I, that's one of the things that, that has been remarkable. And also, mm -hmm. there was a Merrick Garland speech in the wake of the attack on the Cincinnati FBI, which mm -hmm. wasn't scripted. Mm -hmm. um, so, D.C. is a small town, but I think Biden mm -hmm. has tried to be, and, you know, you can, you know, I want you to judge this thing, where, the, you know, he's been hands-off, he's been focused on policy, but he knows stuff is going down, um, mm -hmm. and he knows that it's about to get real, mm -hmm. and he's, it's not, this is not just electioneering, right? He right. is trying to refocus everyone on the fact that our democracy is at stake. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do, I do see from Biden recently the understanding that what's at stake, at stake here. Um, I, I think the difficulty has, like, as president, how much, how much can he do? How much can he say? Um, about this while maintaining oh. some dignity. <laughs> uh, we learned from Trump that you can say whatever you want. There's no consequences, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. Hang on a second. It's not actually true for everyone that whatever you say has no consequences. Um, because I, I come back to this quote. I actually posted it like earlier this evening. Did you see? About I think I did, yeah. Yeah, from from Sartre that never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. They know that their remarks are frivolous, open a challenge, but they are abusing themselves, for it is their adversary who's obliged to use the words responsibly, since he believes in words. The anti-Semite have the right to play. They even like to play with discourse for by giving their ridiculous reasons, they discredit the seriousness of their interlocutors. They delight in acting in bad faith because they seek not to persuade by sound argument, but, but, to, but to intimidate and disconcert. If you press them too closely, they will abruptly fall silent, loftily indicating by some phrase that, that the time for argument has passed. So, so much of what Trump and his ilk do is just fucking with people they just fuck with people and you know it's it's the bannon you know like avalanche of shit it's the trump you know um nonsense and all that and when you're up against an opponent that respects no rules of uh, 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 of law, of truth, of, of ethics, of anything, you're kind of playing at a disadvantage. Um, because not enough people can pay close enough attention to to, to spot what you're doing. Because, you know, ordinary people don't have the time and energy to play, to, to pay such close attention to what is going on. 
they have, you know, their concerns in their average life. They have um, bills to pay. They have mouths to feed. <laughs> you know, ain't no rest for the wicked. <laughs> um, so when someone comes along and just lies and lies and lies and lies, and he has so many allies that just lie and lie and lie and spin and spin and spin. And they will just chew people up. They will chew through so many people and they will find more and more people to chew through. And in a country of millions, they will probably keep finding more people to chew through. So the, 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 the problem that we're up against is that we are up against just like the, 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 the maybe the best con man that ever, that ever existed, <laughs> at least in, in recent memory. Um, and even though people, you know, who get chewed up by him come out and say, you know, like, like Michael Cohen or whatever, or I think most recently like Stacey Burke with the Oath Keepers, you know, they come out and say, you know, this, 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 these guys are, um, not sincere. They're, they're, they're fucking with us. Um, they're exploiting us. Um, as long as Trump and his ilk keep moving, they will chew through the population. Well, that, that's depressing, but um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're right. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a great con man. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I do, th I mean, I just, you know, Biden, Biden I, I actually, I love that quote from Sartre where mm -hmm. he, it's such a good description of, of the alt-right. Remember them? Right? Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, I'm like, he's describing the alt-right like mm -hmm. 70 years before the alt-right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. truth doesn't matter. Just, you know, uh, the Bannon technique, right? Spray it yes. up, show the wall, see what sticks. Yes. History doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Might be a George right. Lucas quote. I don't know. <laughs> No, well, actually, it gets back to your um, your earlier comment that, you know, we couldn't foresee that this would happen. But there, mm -hmm. there are people continuously who've been like, we're in Weimar. There, there, mm -hmm. There's a certain stretch of political theorists that you are like constantly saying fascism is mm -hmm. ever present danger. Fascism is mm -hmm. never pre present danger. And yeah. now we're finally there. And mm -hmm. it, I, it's almost like um, Boy Who Cried Wolf, I think. <laughs> you know, people. Yeah. People don't care, um, but I nonetheless I think Biden's taken the the, the case the, the the people on on mm -hmm. that. And and the, the final speech I'd like to highlight was on September 11th when he didn't man mention extreme MAGA Republicans, which has been a theme with him lately, mm -hmm. uh, but just lots of stuff about democracy. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, "quote We have an obligation, a duty, a responsibility to defend, preserve, and protect our democracy." the very democracy that guarantees the rights and freedom that those terrorists on 9-11 sought to bury in the burning fire and smoke and ash. 
And that takes a commitment on the part of all of us, dedication, hard work, every day. For always remember, the American democracy depends on the habits of the heart of we the people. That's how our constitution, we the people, it's a fragment, oh well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the habits of we the people. It's mm -hmm. not enough to stand up for democracy once a year or every now and then. It's something we have to do every day. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I, even though he didn't mention the extreme aggregate Republicans as he does the other speeches that he's given uh, in the last six weeks, um, you know, I felt like even that one, you know, you could include as, as kind of a refocus on the importance of democracy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've totally... I I can't remember this if this interview that I had ever aired or anything, but I had an interview with uh, like an NBC affiliate a while back, and uh, he he asked me um, just kind of like a final question of, you know, what what would you say to to anyone? Just like what what would you be your final remarks? And I said said just like, you know. Um, you know, whoever you are, uh, you know, whatever you are in life, do do something. Just 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 something, you know, just like no matter how small it feels to you, just that little something will make a difference. Just that little something. And if we all who care about this, do that little bit of what we can do. It could build something that could save this experiment in democracy. It could build into something that is far larger than we could ever imagine. I, I think agree. it was yeah, I think it was. I think I wasn't that eloquent when he asked me, but <laughs> I've thought about it a lot since then. <laughs> but I think that we, we're we're building to a kind of a crescendo in these past the case. So it's, it's leading up to the midterms. But it's also leading to what I believe is is, is a reckoning. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing sort of like you know, I'll, I I want to be a, like go blue and on, you know, be like mm -hmm. big tea leaves and all that. Um, but if you just look at the events. So we've had 10 people have their cell phones taken that we know of. Yeah, um, that's huge. Yeah, and, and on September 9th, Steve Bannon told Charlie Kirk that, quote, the FBI rolled in on 35 senior members of MAGA, Republican supporters of Donald Trump. Yeah, and 35. It's, yeah, it's Bannon. I, I assume it's bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. But then subsequent events have shown, well, okay, maybe they didn't like break down the doors, but there have been... 40 subpoenas independently confirmed. Mm -hmm. We don't know who everyone, but we know some of it's been people. a lot. And there's yeah. been, you know, Lindale at, at Hardy's. <laughs> it was just great. Yeah. I don't remember what he ordered. <laughs> I don't know. A pillowy biscuit, apparently. I don't know. It, it was a classic part of the order. Um yeah, and, but they've all gotten grand jury subpoenas, and um, they've been they've been very broad. They've they've had like you know some of it has been 
Um, it's the Save America Pack. Some of it's been the fake elector stuff. Some of it's been mm -hmm. the organization of the rally. Some of it's been communications between mm -hmm. any co-conspirators. They have to handle that over. Um, and so, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think that's where we're, we're coming. It's like, mm -hmm. are these people targets? Are they witnesses? Are they both? You know, and, uh, and it's not coincidence at the same time, we just learned Mark Meadows has been cooperating all along. <laughs> surprise, surprise. The guy yeah. whose aid was the most, uh, I think, you know, one of the most convincing witnesses, Kathy yeah. Hutchinson. You yeah. know, I, and now it looks in retrospect, it's like, she's kind of a proxy for him, you know? Like she yeah. went and she did the right mm -hmm. thing, but it's like, he's also on team normal, I guess, if we're making this, you know. Maybe, yeah. You know? Yeah, I Who know, knows? right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe I want to bridge too far on that one. Seems uh, sort of democracy-ish. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe just covering his ass. Just yeah, ass. team covering their ass. Just like, okay, this has gone way too far. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I don't even care about motivations, right? But, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. really, at this point, if the devil himself wants to come in and uh, take a plea bargain and uh, turn, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I don't really care so much about motivations, at least as far as saving democracy comes. Like, if we want to go further than this, if we actually survive all this and do we do we survive all this? I don't know. Um if we survive all this, do we want to still have these allies? I don't know. But that, 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 that this is a question for the future, you know? It's a question for like 2024. <laughs> Let's just get through this current year, guys. Jesus. Ideally, the, the Republican Party would split, and there would be a Donald Trump party, and it would go the way of the Bull Moose Party, and yeah, you know, but well, I've long know. I've longed hoped that like the extreme Republican Party would would fuck off, which is a pipe dream, but anyway, they would fuck off, and that maybe the more moderate Republican and Democratic side would become a party and the progressive democrats would be a party but i'm super left-wing so that's that's just like my pipe dream of <laughs> how i how i wish 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 this would go um but in order to have something like that we'd have to have proportional representation <laughs> yeah. a real multi-party democracy with real choice that's yeah if that. only if that's only impressive. Maybe someday, like in like 50 years, maybe like, you know, by the time I die, we'll see that. <laughs> maybe, maybe your children's children's children. Mm. Um, so optimistic. Yeah. But actually, I just want to go a little bit uh, briefly over the target. So we've had Bill Stepien, who had no comment, but we know he got a subpoena. Uh, mm -hmm. Sean Dolman, Dan Scavino, Bernie Carrick, whose subpoena was a confirmed by his attorney. So he asked the attorney for comment. He's like, yeah, we got one. Uh, Brian Jack, who is the uh, last White House communications, I'm uh, sorry, political director, who also had no comment. And then, of course, uh, the lovely Amy Kramer, presumably Kylie Kramer as well, mm. and Woman for America First, uh, which was confirmed by Kramer and her attorney. So that was, that was nice of her to say. 
Uh, so they've all got subpoenas. And we could probably sit here and guess who else has got them. Yeah. But again, it's kind of confusing because there's the grand, there's the January 6th committee subpoenas, and then there's the grand jury subpoenas. Hmm. But so you know, many subpoenas. Right. It's like Oprah. <laughs> you is subpoena. Yes. You and you and you and you you subpoena. I'm hoping they get out of this without like being subpoenaed. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I, I mean, if if I'll take one, it's fine. You know, it'll be fine. I mean, I would, I would, I would weather it. Like if it happens, if it happened, I I would be fine. Yeah, but, just talk to the victim witness coordinator. You know, yeah, but it, but it it would be like inconvenient. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, there's also the latest development the Secret Service story. You, you remember that, right? Right. So um, this, that was just recently Zoe Lofgren. I always want to say Zoe, but it's actually Zoe. So my apologies to Representative Lofgren. Really? Um, so? I think so. I think so. I think it's Zoe. I could that's be wrong. so interesting. Yeah. I know the name is Zoe, but yeah. like if it's Zoe, it's Zoe. Okay. Okay. She's even got the little diacritical accent there. I, I could be wrong. Uh, Weird. Maybe, okay. maybe everyone else is ignorant. I don't I know. Best. I have no idea. I mean, she's been in Congress forever. I, I feel like I should know how to pronounce her first name. Um, but this has been reported variously. So we've had some people say they've got all the texts. And she hasn't said that. Mm -hmm. um, they've got some of the text and so mm -hmm. she appeared on MSNBC and, and here's what she said quote I didn't say what specific types of information and I'm really not at liberty to do that under the rules you know right. there's text there's emails there's radio traffic mm -hmm. there's all kinds of information uh, Microsoft Teams meetings so we're going through everything that's been, been provided more is coming in as I say, some of it's rel not relevant, and some of it is. End quote. I'm sorry, as as a as a total nerd, the inclusion of Microsoft Teams information is really funny to me. Well, the funny thing is, actually, that was um, yeah. Did I transcribe that? I think I did. No, I didn't. Um, maybe I did. I watched it. I've got the clip up anyway. But yeah, she didn't actually say Microsoft Teams, but um, she, I think she said Teams and somebody put Microsoft in brackets. I wouldn't have done that. So I think I actually pulled that off of uh, something. Although I also watched her actual appearance to see if I could use this as a clip. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the Secret Service, Tony Ornato. You know, did he catch mm -hmm. a subpoena? Well, yeah, he got one from the committee. But mm -hmm. we'll see if he also got one from the grand jury. <laughs> Probably. And he's a private individual now, you know? And there was that question mm -hmm. of his sudden re retirement. Um, I don't know if that's really going to work out the way he hopes. <laughs> the government is not paying for his lawyer anymore. Yeah. I, I have no idea. But all this to say, it's like 
we've got this massive subpoenas. We got uh, the Secret Service thing coming to a head. Uh, we've had the attack on the FBI. We had Garland with what I think he's, his resolve is very firm. Mm -hmm. uh, that speech he gave uh, the day that he went and, and then requested the release of the Mar-a-Lago uh, search warrant, I thought was very good. And um, it looks like the, you know, the timetable is just into September, October, it is just going to be a shitstorm of <laughs> just massive proportions. And the Trump people are going to be running around with the hair on fire. So, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. I mean, this is the October surprise to beat all October surprises. But in a sense, it's the worst October surprise because it's entirely predictable. And right. Yet, they've got these dumb attorneys. The only way they can win in court is to find a, a Trump appointee judge. Which they did. But, yeah. But not <laughs> even in the right venue. And she accepts the motions and upholds them on everything. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand how she pulled that off. I don't. Because I have no legal background whatsoever. It's like, what is happening? Why well, this is why is this judge managed to do this crap? Well, they they teach this in judicial politics and basically appeals. They do judges, federal judges care about you know, a couple of different things. They care about pensions. They care about golf. They care about <laughs> not being overturned. Oh yeah, of course, especially in Florida, and um, but they they care about not getting overturned. She didn't care. She doesn't care. And so I don't know if it's because it's the 11th Circuit and there's six Trump justices there, but she just does not seem to care. So I think she will be overturned. But I hope so. Yeah. yeah it's, it seems like a delaying tactic. I don't think this is going to be final. And the classified documents case, well, there's 12 other things that are ongoing that seem just as bad for Team Trump at the moment. I think, you know, I mean, between the fake collector scheme and all the rest of it, uh, the investigation of the Save America PAC, um, and, the, you know, there, there are things that are coming out there, you know, they're new, right, that, you know, didn't necessarily see coming. So, for example, the break-ins, uh, the unauthorized access during the election disinformation campaign, they're looking into all that. That's all yeah. federal crimes. Right, <laughs> and so while we were all looking at all this other stuff and whether or not he's choking a secret service agent, oh, it turns out he was sending these goons that they hired, Sidney Powell hired, in places like, uh, you know, I mean, Michigan, obviously, Antrim County, and Colorado and Georgia. Yeah. Which again is off, right? I mean, there are mm -hmm. all these places that are deep red, and they they go in, they look at the machines. And they're trying to find evidence of fraud in these deep red places where the, the county clerk let them in. But that doesn't tell you about, you know, the, the, the fraud was supposed to be where all the black people live, right? That's where the fraud was supposed to live, you know? But they're going to all these, like, rural areas, you know? It's like, you're not even disenfranchising the right people here, people, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's like it, what you're showing doesn't even show what you purport to show. Right. So, but I, I shouldn't expect logic, you know. No, there, no, there's not much logic. 
Not to interrupt too much, but I think I am falling of asleep. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> I want to thank you so much. Not this conversation is uninteresting or anything like no, that. No, no, no. It's just biological um, imperatives. Absolutely. Right now. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Sleep is for the week. I um, sleep. Totally. No. Sleep is for the week. No, I, I have a sleep disorder, so I get by on like three hours sleep. Yeah, I, I know. I know the feeling. I have it's such an irregular sleep cycle that it's just like <laughs> at any moment it could be like, am I wired, or am I going to just George just is going to pass out right now? I don't you have know. Small children, you're exhausted. And here's the thing: yeah. I, we go through all this, and I want to thank you for guiding us. I'm like, I'm not even sure that I'm, that I'm going to be able to upload any of this. <laughs> that that would be I I apologize. It's like I, I don't know. I, I showed you that screen before. Yeah. Um my, my hope is that everything will, will show up and I'll be able to download it and edit it. I, I really want to thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. I'm yeah. sorry for being a, a terrible interviewer. No, 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 um, no. It's I've had a lot of fun. This has been fun. I'm just I'm just in it because I'm tired. No, well it's great because I, I can actually <laughs> hopefully save this and it, it will work. So figure out this this crappy program that I use. Yeah. So I hope it works I, out. Great. Well, hopefully you enjoyed that. If you'd like uh, more interviews, of course, please let me know. If you would like to be uh, a subject of an interview, um, hopefully, you know, just uh, get in touch, and uh, we will see what we can do. So I want to thank Bigfoot uh, very much for her time. She was very gracious to appear on the show, and to give her insights into what this process has been like. And I might add that I know, you know, I didn't want to bash the, the media, but it did seem to me that there's been a thing where uh, the media noticed Sedition Hunters in the spring of 2021, and then just kind of dropped it. Um, she raised an interesting point that many people just kind of decide, well, we're not going to talk about this nearly as much. Uh, have a, a little bit of a lower profile, which is something that I had not considered um, in any event. Though I, I do think, you know, if you read the, the charging documents, the contributions of sedition hunters to the ongoing investigations are substantial. And so I want to thank uh, the, the entire community for what they've done to help defend democracy and to bring the January 6th attackers to justice. All right, so... I know I hit on some of the key points with regard to what I feel to be a, a change that is definitely in the air. You know, it's post-Labor Day, autumn is coming, and we are headed into a new season. Um, and I feel as though we've seen a very public change with regard to how Merrick Garland has approached it. I think that the attack on the Cincinnati FBI office in the wake of the search warrants being served on Mar-a-Lago was kind of a tipping point for him. Obviously, uh, you know, with his invest involvement in the Murrah Building investigation, he is someone who is very sensitive to attacks on federal law enforcement, particularly the FBI, right? I mean, that is what, that is who Timothy McVeigh uh, targeted back in 95. So, um... I also feel as though there's a, been a big shift in uh, Joe Biden 
And uh, as I, you heard, um, Biden has referenced extreme MAGA Republicans. Now, and use the term semi-fascist. Of course, I, I would drop the semi, right? So Biden is, you know, moderating this. He's giving them an out. Nonetheless, um, he appears to have turned a corner. Now, again, if it was me, I would be talking about January 6th all the time. When one of the major parties no longer stands for democracy, that's something you ought to election uh, mention in election campaigns and election campaigns. Nonetheless, um, he really has turned a corner. And, of course, uh, as Bigfoot mentioned, there is a question of what is appropriate for a president to talk about with regard to the conduct of the independent Department of Justice. That, you know, there's not supposed to be political involvement. Nonetheless, um, I feel that Biden, uh, I don't, you know, you don't know who he's talking to, what he's heard. Uh, he is someone who has long D.C. connections. And if things are happening, presumably he knows what's going on. And so there's a change in the tenor of his comments. And as I talked about with regard to the timeline that we're looking at, um, next week is the beginning of the Oath Keepers trial. And I don't think it's an accident that the Department of Justice focused so heavily on the Oath Keepers. In a sense, yes, this is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Yes, they are... LARPers, live-action role-playing, and nothing against, by the way, LARPing, right? LARPing, I'm an old-school nerd, LARPing is great, cool and good, um, but, yeah, they give LARPing a bad name, because, of course, they do it in the context of uh, ex political extremism and political violence. In any event, um, that's, that's happening, right? And, of course, I've pointed out many times, the significance of the Oath Keepers, Exhibit 10, with which I am obsessed, the arrest of Kelly Sorrell, the charging of Kelly Sorrell, um, and now, of course, uh, Stuart Rhodes and the rest of his crew um, going up uh, on trial for seditious conspiracy next week. And then the following day, uh, the next hearing of the January 6th committee, about which, the topics of which they've been very hush-hush. So I'm very curious to see. I expect an announcement momentarily, literally, uh, at any point in time, that for them to tease the content of this hearing. Uh, I've all expected for a long time some uh, some information about the Green Team, right? Uh, some information about links between the mob of attackers and uh, Republicans, right? I've talked about in the past uh, the picture of Lauren Boebert and Avery McCracken, uh, you know, the possibility that Republicans through various ways have, have did outreach, um, all the various people, um, there was a very, there was a, a good thread that was direct, uh, someone posted to me on, uh, Twitter the other day, uh, listing all of the, the, not all of the, but many of the buses and who paid for all these buses, right? Again, that's the green team. We don't know a lot about, about, about that, um, but again, presumably they've looked into some of the finances of some of these organizations, and I suspect that ultimately, you know, maybe some of that public's money wound up funding some of these buses. Who knows? So, what I'd like to do is to go through all the events from the beginning of August, because there's been, I, I believe, again, uh, a, a shift 
And that's why, after all, this episode is called The End of the Beginning. And I actually want to thank Bigfoot for that title. Uh, because this is, I think, the end of the beginning. We've had a lot of low-level defendants, and these low-level defendants, the prosecutions, the charging of these defendants, has tapered off for some reason. Um, I, I think that, yes, there is a limited amount of docket space in the DCD, um, but could it be that the reason for the slowdown is because they expect some new cases to be prosecuted in uh, U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia? Could be. And in the event, I'm, what I'm going to do now is to go through some of the events that have happened since August 1st. On August 2nd, Guy Rethick was sentenced to 87 months in federal prison. August 4th through 7th, CPAC occurred, and this was really the sedition CPAC. Featured, obviously, Trump, Bannon, Boebert, Cruz, Gates, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Ronnie Jackson, Jim Jordan, Carrie Lake, Mike Lindell, Victor Orban, Cash Patel, Scott Perry, Posobiec, Rick Scott, Greg Stuba, Brandon Strachek, and of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And at CPAC, Trump delivered a speech in which he said, quote, I know these people, they're very strong people. Uh, and he was talking, of course, about the um, testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson, in which she had said that uh, she had heard, again, you know, secondhand, um, but she had heard that uh, Trump had actually attempted to stop, um, or rather redirect the Secret Service agent who was driving the presidential SUV. So, yeah, kind of an interesting story there, but again, um, there have been a an odd amount of reporting, by the way, about CPAC. One of the weirdest things that seems persistent is that people say, keep saying, well, um, there was this odd moment where there was someone who was pretending to be a January 6th defendant, and Marjorie Taylor Greene came and laid her hands on him and appeared to deliver her a blessing. Um, and again, uh, I know I've talked about this in a previous episode, but uh, on the first day, that was, in fact, an actor who was just sort of generically portraying a January 6th defendant. Uh, but on the next day, it was actual Brandon Straka, founder of the Walk Away movement, uh, who was there for this weird kind of uh, Mary Jesus moment, I don't even know, uh, between him and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, this bizarre kind of uh, almost postmodern theater of the absurd. On August 8th, of course, that was the date of the Mar-a-Lago search, which uh, has instigated so much and a, a whole series of events uh, that are unfolding. Uh, August 9th, the Michigan Attorney General saw a special prosecutor in the voting machine case. Uh, Dana Nessel, the Attorney General, requested, quote, that the Michigan Prosecuting Attorney's Coordinating Council, a state agency, appoint a special prosecutor to consider charges against nine people, including Republican Attorney General candidate Matt DiPerno, State Representative Dare Rendon of Lake City, and Barry County Sheriff Darleaf. So, again, we, we expect that there will be action at the state level 
in many of these cases regarding the uh, shenanigans that went on uh, with these various voting machines. On August 9th, Biden Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters that Biden wasn't advanced, uh, wasn't briefed in advance of his Mar-a-Lago speech. Or sorry, in advance of the Mar-a-Lago search. But note, of course, that doesn't lead, you know, that admits the possibility that perhaps the president was briefed after the Mar-a-Lago search. It's almost trivial to say, well, he wasn't briefed uh, in advance of it. Well, of course not. You know, I mean, again, the DOJ is supposed to be independent. But with all this action going on, it does raise the question of what Biden has heard. Uh, you know, Biden has staff. They talk to people. Uh, he has long connections in D.C. And he is trying to give the appearance of presidential uninvolvement in the ongoing investigations and the inner workings of the Department of Justice and the January 6th investigation. But again, he himself probably knows some things, right? And I think that the reason why I'm going through this litany of developments over the last six weeks is precisely because um, there's a change in tone. And I believe that is building to something end of September through to October where we're going to see events happen rather rapidly. Again, the, the worst uh, October surprise in history. It's not a surprise, right? This is not a surprise, ought not be a surprise to anyone. And yet, I do believe that um, it is going to proceed and rather, you know, rather tellingly and may affect the midterm elections. Also, another story uh, from August 12th that you may have missed because, again, so much has been happening. Sorry, this is August 9th. The D.C. U.S. Court of Appeals ruled that the IRS must hand Trump tax returns from 2015 to 2020 over to the House Ways and Means Committee. Also on August 9th, Scott Perry said that the FBI had a search warrant for his phone. So they took his phone and they, they got a copy of that. So one of 10 individuals uh, that we know that the FBI has taken the uh, data from their phones. August 11th, Trump invoked the Fifth Amendment in a deposition in the office of Letitia James in the asset valuation case in New York. And again, why is this important? You're not allowed to keep double books. You're not allowed to say, to use one valuation of assets for the purposes of representing yourself to your creditors and another valuation of assets for the purposes of paying the tax man. And that's exactly what Trump is accused of doing. On uh, the, August 11th, same date, there was the Ricky Schiffer attack on the Cincinnati FBI office. And again, the same day, we had the response from Merrick Garland. And I believe that this was one of the things that really, well, not on the schedule, right? I think Garland didn't necessarily want to give that speech. It's not in uh, keeping with how he's run this whole thing. But on the other hand, if you attack FBI agents, and if there's this possibility that FBI agents are going to be attacked around the country, the Attorney General is going to do something about it. And of course, at that point in time, uh, he waited 
to actually, you know, there, there was, I think, I think a 30-minute delay, um, but he had waited at that point to be able to actually file his request, to file the motion for the unsealing of the search warrant. Um, on August 11th, uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that the Mar-a-Lago search was based on information from an informant. Later on, uh, we wind up getting more information. It was probably Mark Meadows, right? It looks like it was Mark Meadows. So, um, looks like they, DOJ has the keys to the city. Also on August 11th, Thomas Robertson winds up getting 87 months in federal prison. I know last time I talked about, you know, are they, well, are these people going to get uh, pen time? Or are they, you know, he's probably going to go at least to a medium. So he and Guy Reffitt both get 87 months. On August 12th, there was information on the contents of the material taken from Mar-a-Lago. It, it basically began to be reported widely, that there were 11 sets of classified documents, 20 boxes of items, a handwritten note, and the grant of clemency for Roger Stone. So that ultimately is probably going to wind up proving to be pretty important, that there was some, you know, some shenanigans involving the grant of clemency for Roger Stone. On August 14th, Trump reacts to the Mar-a-Lago search. Uh, which, of course, they like to call a raid. Uh, he sends out a lie on his Truth Social uh, Twitter, fake Twitter thing. Quote, The whole world was watching as the FBI rummaged through the house, including the former First Lady's closets and clothing, alone and unchecked, without any witnesses to see what they were doing, taking, or, hopefully not, planting. So the former president accused the FBI of planting things and of going through uh, Melania Trump's stuff. Again, shocking, right? I mean, she's a model, you know, shocking that they would go through her clothing. Um, but again, that's not the target of the investigation. They also went through the boxes of secret documents in your, your basement, right, Trump? I mean, you might want to mention that. Also on August 14th, the Department of Homeland Security issued a Joint Intelligence Board Bulletin warning of an, quote, increase in threats to federal law enforcement officials following the execution of a search warrant in Palm Beach, Florida, end quote. So, obviously, that is the Trump search warrant. Um, you know, and, I mean, a little bit late, right? I mean, we'd already had the Ricky Schiffer attack. Um, nonetheless... I think it's right that federal law enforcement all across the country have to be concerned for their safety uh, from this violent insurrectionist MAGA movement and the possibility that, you know, FBI offices, I mean, you can find them, right? They're in the phone book. They're right up there on Google. And there's going to be a certain number of, um, you know, radicals, right? Uh, reactionaries, really, fascists, uh, who may take an interest in attacking FBI facilities. So DHS uh, issued the Joint Intelligence Bulletin on August 14th. On August 15th, in a Fox News digital interview, Trump said, quote, the country is in a very dangerous position. There is tremendous danger, like I've never seen before. 
go over all of the scams, and this new one, years of scams and witch hunts, and all this, end quote. So, pretty much just a kind of a, you know, oh, a shame if anything would happen to this country. Nice country you got there. A shame if anything would happen to it, right? I mean, this is straight mafia talk here. Um, you know, shame, I mean, it's just basically just threatening the entire country if they continue to go after his lawless acts. He also made a further claim, quote, I will do whatever I can to help the country, end quote. Well, okay, but perhaps you shouldn't threaten everybody, right? Um, he, call, he also called the, the warrant a, quote, sneak attack. It's not a sneak attack. It's a warrant, right? Um, you know, this isn't Pearl Harbor. This was the, the service of a warrant, like, 18 months late, that, that you really ought to have expected. He claimed, quote, the temperature has to be brought down in the country. If it isn't, terrible things are going to happen. End quote. So, I mean, obviously the way for temperature to be brought down for, is for him to explicitly say that it wasn't a sneak attack. This is the rule of law in action. Law enforcement, uh, you know, he may not like it, but they're doing their job. Um, instead, he is egging his supporters on and, you know, raising the specter of political violence as a kind of a shield uh, to try to protect himself, right? And I, I might add, this isn't the first time that the far right has done this, right? I mean, the reason why Stuart Rhodes was able to have all these standoffs with the federal government is because they were afraid of another Waco. They were afraid of another Ruby Ridge. So, you know, um, I mean, there's a possibility that this strategy might work. Um, I don't think so, though. But, uh, again, you know, I mean, basically just threatening people with far-right political violence if law enforcement continues to pursue their investigations of January 6th and all the other related matters. On August 16th, the New York Times reported that Pat Cipollone and Pat Philbin had been interviewed by federal authorities and that Philbin had been interviewed in the spring. And both of these interviews pertain to the classified documents case. So, you know, what's the source? Well, was it Meadows? Was it Cipollone and Philbin? Could there be multiple sources? Um, with that amount of material, it would be unsurprising if multiple people who are now cooperating noted that Trump was moving massive amounts of material out of the White House and to somewhere, right? Now, I might want to add, I'm going to add, and this is, you know, perhaps a bit more speculative, um, but again, if you look at Exhibit 10, uh, on November 9th, 2020, they were talking about declassifying everything. Eric Trump was talking about declassifying everything. And so it could well be that many of the documents that were removed were done as a, as a kind of an insurance policy. You know, if you uh, follow up on uh, my crimes, you know, I'll take these documents and declassify them, or I will give them to our enemies. Um, again, it has always seemed to me to be a kind of a, an underwear gnomes kind of a thing, right? You know, steal the underpants, step two, question mark, question mark, step three, profit. Um, you know, there's always been this, this missing leg, but somehow Trump 
seems to feel that this material is some kind of protection for him. Well, it hasn't really worked out that way. In fact, it has been an incrimination of him. Um, but nonetheless, I personally think that this is more tightly related to January 6th than many people uh, you know, seem to have indicated, right? I mean, oh, the secret executive orders and national security directives, for example, Phil Waldron's plan, these all involved uh, secret and classified uh, techniques and means and capabilities. And so there is a possibility that, you know, some of the stuff regarding executive orders and seizing all the voting machines, some of that stuff may be related to January 6th. It might not all be like nuclear secrets and things of that nature. Some of it could be related to January 6th. So there's many different categories. Could just be that he is a kind of a pack rat and just takes everything. I think it was probably more strategic than that, that he was taking things on a targeted basis. Perhaps some of it is kind of insurance, right? Embarrassing secrets um, or national security secrets that uh, Trump wouldn't want to, you know, the government or the so-called deep state wouldn't want to get in the hands of our, our nation's enemies. Um, but some of it could just be directly related to things such as you know, using the military intelligence infrastructure of the country to attack democracy, which again was part of Phil Waldron's plan to uh, overturn the election in 2020. In uh, also, same date, August 16th, the FBI returned Trump's passports. On August 17th, uh, Mike Pence spoke in New Hampshire. I mentioned this uh, during the Bigfoot interview. Quote, the Republican Party stands with the men and women who stand on the thin blue line at the federal, state, and local level, and these attacks on the FBI must stop. End quote. Again, uh, Mike Pence, complete Trumpist weasel. He, you know, he could be someone who stands up. He could be someone who... Uh, you know, he knows he ought to know he's never going to be president. He ought to, you know, have at long last some decency, at last reclaim, you know, some kind of sense of patriotism. But he's not. But nonetheless, in that moment, um, you know, similar to what happened in the wake of January 6th and on January 6th itself, he had a, an apparent moment of clarity and said that Trumpists shouldn't attack the FBI. Also on August 17th, Rudy Giuliani testified before the Fulton County Grand Jury in the Georgia election case. Of course, Rudy Giuliani set up the call, the so-called perfect call, right? You know, there was a perfect call in Ukraine, Zelensky, and there was, of course, you know, Trump calls everything. It's perfect. No, it wasn't perfect. You're not allowed to threaten the state officials, you know, to get your way if you lose an election. Also on August 17th, Alan Weiselberg pleaded in the Trump Organization tax fraud case, agreeing to testify at trial in the Trump Organization case. So, yet another example of someone who, you know, uh, another vulnerability, if you will, to the Trump camp. Even if, in this instance, um, it pertains more to the Trump Organization than to any misconduct 
by Donald Trump himself, various family members may have more exposure than Trump himself has. Nonetheless, it's significant. On August 20th, the New York Post carried a story claiming that Trump will announce his 2024 candidacy after the midterms, citing a per person in Trump's orbit. You ordinarily wouldn't cite the Post, except they might have some good sources in Trump world. And so it's entirely possible, right? I mean, Trump uh, probably thinks that being a candidate means it's a get-out-of-jail-free card and you don't get investigated anymore. So he declared very, you know, that's what he, like, I think he, he, he declared immediately, you know, at following the inauguration uh, in 2016, you know, sorry, 2017, that he would run again in 2020. So uh, this would be very much in keeping with prior practice in any event, whatever his motivations. Also on August 20th, the New York Times reported that, quote, an associate of Rudy Giuliani tried to pass a note to Trump asking for a federal pardon, a general pardon, sorry, for Giuliani and for Rudy Giuliani to be awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom sometime after January 6th. Um, this associate, one Maria Ryan, was unsuccessful in her effort to pass a note to the president and with the message being intercepted by Bernie Carrick. So again, significant, you know, pardons all around. Um, but you know, they're reduced to, to passing notes saying, please pardon my boss. <laughs> um, kind of kind of ridiculous. On August 22nd, Trump filed a motion asking for the special master, which of course was subsequently granted. August 23rd, Governor Whitmer of Michigan, uh, her kidnapping plotters were convicted in the Michigan kidnapping plot. August 26th, Judge Reinhardt ordered the redacted search warrant in the Mar-a-Lago case to be unsealed. So, and then there are large sections of redactions, right? Um, but again, you know, the search warrant was unsealed. Uh, because Trump wanted to be, and you know, well, and also because the FBI was attacked, and then the, um, you know, the eventually, right, the redacted affidavit is unsealed. August twenty sixth, Amy Harris and Robert Curlander plead guilty to stealing Ashley Biden's diary, which they, of course, had sold to Project Veritas for forty thousand um, dollars. Again, Project Veritas, just, you know, absolute scum of the earth. Uh, these are, you know, just extremely sleazy people who just, you know, lie. I mean, it, everything, it's like, it's the opposite. Project lies. Mark Meadows, uh, on August 26th, was also subpoenaed in the Fulton County case for testimony on setting up the call, and he will testify on September 27th. Uh, also receiving subpoenas, Sidney Powell, Phil Waldron, uh, who were also sent to testify on September 22nd, so um, Wednesday of this week. So subpoenas for everybody in Fulton County, Georgia. More subpoenas in Fulton County uh, were issued to John Eastman, Cleena Mitchell, and Jody Heiss. So there's a lot going on. Federal, New York, you got state cases going on in Georgia, 
Um, just so much criminality to investigate and so many different, uh, you know, that's one of the virtues of our federal system, right? If you commit a crime this massive at the state, federal, and local level, there are lots of different jurisdictions who are going to have responsibility. Uh, on August 27th, the Department of Justice released the redacted affidavit uh, for the search uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Also on August 27th, uh, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, reacted to the former President Trump's claims. Quote, well, I just want you to know that I have declassified everything in the world. Um, again, responding to this absurd claim that Trump had declassified everything. Quote, I'm the president. I can do it all. Come on. Declassify everything? I'm not going to comment because I don't know the details. I don't even want to know. I'll let the Justice Department take care of it. End quote. So he does know. You know, I mean, he knows it's ridiculous. He knows that Trump didn't do what he ought to have done to declassify anything, let alone everything. Um, but, you know, he decided at this point to, to take to make a comment about it. Again, Biden is much more directly confronting the uh, situation that is being faced by Trump than he has been in the past, right? He's talking about extreme MAGA Republicans. He's talking directly to what's happening with regard to Donald Trump's criminal liability. And I think that, again, that marks right, the end of the beginning that we are entering a new phase once again in the prosecution of potentially uh, the inner circle of Donald J. Trump and Donald Trump himself. On August 28th, Judge Cannon ruled that she intended to appoint a special master in the Mar-a-Lago stolen documents case. Uh, ultimately winds up being Judge Deary, uh, who is the one judge who, uh, you know, many people feel might be I don't know. I mean, the fact that Trump finds him acceptable, eh, kind of suspicious. Um, but there's there's also uh, the issue of a possible conflict that he might face, which would be cause for further delay. So maybe that's why he was acceptable to Trump. In any event, um, you know, the delaying tactic uh, it, with Eileen Cannon continued to pace. August 30th. The FBI filter team concluded their work on documents containing possibly privileged information, identifying a limited set of documents that would be subject to such privilege. So there's lots of different uh, categories of documents. Basically, though, the FBI has seen the documents by now. Um, and so, you know, you've got your special master and what have you. But ultimately, uh, you know, this stuff is all going to wind up as evidence. Also on August 30th, uh, Biden spoke in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm not sure, is it Wilkesbury or Wilkesbar? Um, he said, quote, and look, you know, we're in a situation where, to this day, the MAGA Republicans in Congress defend the mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th. Defend them. You all saw it. I don't care how frustrated you are. End quote. So, again, you know, Biden keeps talking about these extremist MAGA Republicans in a way that he hadn't been doing heretofore. August 31st, Trump's attorneys claimed that the government, quote, 
gratuitously included a photograph of allegedly classified materials pulled from a container and spread across the floor for dramatic effect. This, of course, happened in response to their own request to release that material, right? And it wasn't for dramatic effect. It's to show the documents in the place where they were found, to show what different documents they were. This is a normal thing. If you've ever watched Forensic Files, this is a thing that happens in criminal investigations. They took photographs of the evidence, and they decided to include just one of the photographs of the evidence in the place where it was found. And, you know, Trump's attorneys have a hissy fit about it because they apparently have never litigated a criminal case before. September 1st, Joe Biden delivers his Soul of America speech at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, which I think is a kind of a turning point. So Biden was resolute in his defense of democracy, and I know I talked about that in the Big Food interview, uh, but I won't give that, you know, won't go into that too much here. But again, you know, turning the corner saying, look, this isn't just about an election. This is about the defense of democracy itself. The extreme MAGA Republicans, uh, to use his phrase, just fascists, to use my phrase, um, not semi-fascists, fascists, are out to end democracy in America. Also on September 1st, Kelly Sorrell, who I've mentioned here many times, uh, was charged uh, perhaps to prevent her from offering testimony in the Oath Keepers case, uh, perhaps uh, for, for other reasons. Uh, September 3rd, the government discloses that 90 empty classified folders were found at Mar-a-Lago. So again, where are the contents? Well, the contents uh, are on the folders, right? You can identify, it's, it's written. I mean, these folders are not blank vanilla folders. They have descriptions of the contents. So the government knows what was in those folders. And the question is, what happened to them? Right? Trump's not going to just retain the empty folders. Uh, something happened to those documents. And with people like Pat Cipollone, Pat Philbin, and uh, apparently Mark Meadows offering their testimony on this, um, I think the government probably has some idea what happened to the materials in those empty folders. On September 4th, Trump called Biden an enemy of the state, also in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Uh, kind of odd that they are in this particular town within days of one another. But, um, yeah, the German term uh, for treason is a Staatsfeindlichkeit, uh, to be an enemy of the state. And, um, you know, I mean, here, yeah, Trump is saying that Biden is a traitor an enemy of the state. Well, that's ludicrous, right? Trump, you know, is the actual enemy of the state. He helped to demand, dismantle the state. Um, Steve Bannon's goal was the dismantling of, quote, the administrative state, uh, the state itself, per se. And so, yeah, you know, uh, every accusation is a confession. On September 5th, Eileen Cannon grants the special master that her master, Trump, had asked for. Also, Biden spoke on Labor Day in Milwaukee. I talked about that during the interview with Bigfoot. Um, again, you know, I thought he, he did well on, you know, basically 
speaking off the cuff. And the, the moment of the interjection of the heckler was kind of perfect. Biden's about to talk about extreme MAGA Republicans, and boom, one of them shows up there and tries to heckle him in person. And Biden's like, no, 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 just let him go, right? Um, which stands in marked contrast, of course, to Trump, who'd be like, yeah, beat the fuck out of that guy. Following day, September 6th, Coy Griffin was ruled disqualified from office on the basis of the 14th Amendment. Enacted that following the Civil War, basically if you take part in rebellion or insurrection against the United States, you don't get to hold elected office anymore, whether it be county commission or president of the United States. So, that's a thing that's happened, and maybe this is going to happen to other elected officials who support the January 6th insurrection. We'll see. Also on September 6th, uh, the first reports that foreign nuclear capabilities were reported uh, found at Mar-a-Lago. So this is documents regarding the capabilities of uh, a foreign nuclear power. We don't know who. Uh, or which nation it was, but that is a, a secret document of the highest order that Trump just had, just, you know, hanging out in a banker's box in his basement, which, you know, again, they can try to minimize that, but when you look at, you know, things that happen like Edward Snowden, um, you know, reality winner, um, these are, you know, the, the magnitude um, of the crime with regard to what Trump has done with classified documents, is something that really can't be minimized. Also, two men working for Sullivan Strickler, a firm hired by Sidney Powell, were reported for the first time to have been seen on security footage entering the Coffee County Election Office in Georgia twice in January 2021. These men had previously met with Kathy Latham, the County Republican Party chair, on January 7th. So, again, uh, it happened in Colorado, it happened in Georgia, probably other places as well, right? So they were trying to, uh, you know, basically gain improper access to these voting machines and look at them. And what, part of what's interesting to me, of course, is like, as I mentioned in the, the interview, they did this in, like, heavily Trumpist areas. Um, their allegations were always, well, it's the cities, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, they're always uh, trying to uh, disenfranchise black voters, right? And some of them have done it, you know, they said it quite you know, explicitly. Um, basically equating the votes of minorities in urban areas to uh, fraud, out and out. And it's like, it's not true, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, um, it's just like, no, they, they didn't vote the way you like. Uh, but, you know, it's just absolutely bizarre. And they, they look at these these rural areas uh, and they try to extrapolate God knows what. I mean, part of the I don't think these people even have the te technical capabilities to really evaluate we on these so-called cyber ninjas, uh, like, the, you know, in Antrim County and in Arizona. Um, but nonetheless, doesn't minimize their crime, Right. So, you know, I can't go in and uh, gain unauthorized access to election equipment. And, you know, these people will be held to account, one would hope. 
So again, more legal vulnerability for Sidney Powell. On September 8th, Steve Bannon self-surrenders in New York in the We Build the Wall fraud case. Now, the We Build the Wall fraud case, of course, was the case for which Bannon had been offered a pardon. And Dustin Stockton significantly had not. Stockton, of course, has appeared before the January 6th committee with that binder that I keep talking about, um, you know, full of possible financial information. So, yeah, we don't know, you know, what's going on there, but essentially, um, well, we, we kind of do, it's, it's the same case. I mean, the basic case against Bannon is the same case for which he's already, you know, was charged in federal court. I mean, you know, they raised a whole bunch of money. It didn't go to build the wall. Not that, you know, that was a, I mean, it's a ridiculous, it's absurd to begin with. Um, so, yeah. And, and again, of course, the federal pardon doesn't cover the state charges. On September 11th, there was the uh, Biden September 11th speech, uh, which again was uh, heavily on democracy. He didn't mention extreme MAGA Republicans. It was not a partisan speech in that way. Nonetheless, um, it was a very pro-democracy speech. You know, and he said that we had to we have to stand up for democracy every day. And on September 12th. The Department of Justice agreed to former U.S. District Court Judge Raymond Deary uh, to serve as special master in the stolen documents case. So Deary, 78, was a Reagan appointee, and I'm skeptical, right? Anything regarding Trump, anything he finds acceptable, probably not something I'm going to find acceptable. Um, but, you know, a whole bunch of legal commentators say, no, 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 he's fair, he's reasonable. When I look at the Reagan appointees who are still sitting on the DCD, uh, DC District Court, um, you know, they seem reasonable, right? They, I mean, maybe there's only one, I'm not sure, offhand, but, you know, they haven't been outliers. I mean, the irony, of course, you know, Reagan was, was kind of a hard right figure, you know, uh, but now, uh, apparently, uh, you, you look at him and he's not so bad in comparison. Um, so, I mean, you know, any number of questions, a lot of people are saying, no, no, he's real, he's a real judge, he stands for the rule of law, and in fact, wouldn't it be delicious if he winds up contradicting Judge Eileen Cannon, um, although Cannon has reserved the right to unappoint Deary somehow, I mean, just absolutely just an affront to the whole process, what, what she's done down there. And finally, on September 14th, it was reported that Mark Meadows had complied with his subpoena and that he likely had been supply complying all along. Again, uh, you know, other people were getting charged with contempt, but not, not Mark Meadows. Um, and, you know, they were playing their cards close to the vest and not showing Trump what they had. Um, but now... You know, Mark Meadows, who's the linchpin, um, who was the, the person who was Trump's, you know, conduit to the outside world, apparently, uh, complied with this subpoena 
from the January 6th committee. And it is also revealed that he had given the Department of Justice everything that he had previously given the January 6th committee. So I suspect that that is rather a lot. And that uh, this explains a lot of Trump's behavior in subsequent days. So this is why it's the end of the beginning. So Trump knows that Mark Meadows has slipped. And the desperation is going to ramp up. And that is kind of frightening. Because the possibility of um, scripted violence, of stochastic terrorism, is something that is ever-present in the world of Trump. Uh, the Rosenberry effect, right? The Floyd Ray Rosenberry effect. Uh, you know, just basically summoning all of these, uh, every nut job who has a grievance. I don't, I don't mean that in a way that's pejorative with regard to mental health, but I mean, yeah, um, you know, just basically saying, well, you know, if you <laughs> just summoning, summoning the mob, getting them to attack the FBI, getting them to attack Congress, getting them to attack the courts. So that is, is kind of what, you know, we can expect to see from Trumpism in the weeks ahead, and, you know, up to the midterms anyway. So that's why I think that we are at the end of the beginning. We are closing in to the hub of this hub and spoke conspiracy. The phones of 10 people have been seized, Rudy Giuliani, Victoria Tunsing, Michael McDonald, uh, Nevada State uh, GOP Chair, the fake elector, Scott Perry, Jeff, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Boris Epstein, Mike Roman from the Trump campaign who worked on the fake elector scheme, Mike Lindell, all these people's phones have been seized. And something like, according to various reports, 40 different grand jury subpoenas have been served. So again, the timeline is all moving apace. That October looks to be a very busy month. We've had the Secret Service story, and all that... Um, appears, you know, it appears as though some of those texts have been recovered. Not all of them. Uh, it's been reported variously. I, I believe that some of them. I do believe that some of them, perhaps the most incriminating texts, have been, um, quite frankly, there's been obstruction of justice at the Secret Service. And that should be a concern. Or at least something that ought to be investigated. Um... So, you know, Steve Bannon's story that 35 high-ranking MAGA people, uh, you know, were served appears to have been true. Um, and there's, you know, all these different targets, right? Bill Stepien, Sean Dolman, uh, Dan Scavino, Bernie Carrick, Brian Jack, Amy Kramer. And Women for America First, and possibly, you know, uh, Kylie Kramer. So, whole broad range of subpoenas being served to all these figures in a 
DC grand jury. Now, we don't know if this is an existing grand jury, the subpoenas are broad, um, but the, it would appear that they are moving to the center of the conspiracy at precisely the time when these things might make a difference. Unfortunately, um, you know, well, it, they've, they're running a tight ship, and all of this is being done very secretly. And so it is frustrating, the amount of discipline that's being shown by the Department of Justice. And early on, and even continuing, a lot of various talking heads have said, well, we would know if things are happening. Um, well, now we definitely know, right? We've got information from various targets of the investigation that they've been served. So it looks like we're finally getting to the end. Uh, well, right, we're the beginning of the end, or the end of the beginning, however you want to put it. I want to end with something that was certainly very odd, put out by Sean Hannity on September 12th. Sean Hannity showed uh, a graphic on his show and talked about all the different investigations of Trump. And there are 31 in total that he listed on this graphic, but I don't think it was great, right? I mean, he's trying to say, well, there's nothing there. Uh, there's all the smoke, but there is no fire. And so I went through and I looked at um, the things that were appearing on the screen, and there are 31 of them. Um, I don't think they've been listed anywhere. Uh, so I, I just thought I'd go down the list of the purported investigations of Trump by that, that Hannity list. And by the way, it's not actually exhaustive. Oddly enough, I mean, there are some cases where he's trying to clearly maximize the number of investigations um, as though that somehow makes it better for Trump. I mean, it's so curious. Uh, and of course, you know, we know that what's on Mark Meadows' phone, right? How many times was he talking to Sean Hannity? How many messages from Sean Hannity did Mark Meadows get? So, uh, you know, Sean Hannity might have his own reasons, his own agenda, to minimize his own involvement. So, he cited the Russia collusion investigation, the Crossfire Hurricane investigation, the um, D.C. investigation of inaugural funds, the New York investigation of inaugural funds, the New Jersey investigation of inaugural funds. He cited the Emoluments Clause investigation, the House Ways and Means Tax investigation, uh, which, again, uh, as I mentioned, the D.C. Appeals Court ruled, yeah, yeah, you can have Trump's tax records. Um, the Trump Hotel Lease investigation, the Foreign Gifts investigation, the Fulton County D.A. 2020 election investigation, uh, again, the, the improper call, um, the NAACP Michigan Voting Rights investigation, the Bar-a-Lago raid, so-called, right, the service of the search warrant. The House Oversight Classified Materials Investigation. The January 6th Committee Investigation. The D.C. Attorney General Investigation on January 6th. 
the January 6th impeachment investigation, the Ukraine phone call impeachment investigation, uh, the hush money payments investigation, right? And again, it's like, yeah, that's a thing that happens. Stormy Daniels is a thing that actually happened. Like, Michael Cohen went to jail over this. Um, the Michael Cohen pardon investigation, the Save America PAC investigation, the White House security clearance investigation, the Trump net worth investigation in the House, the use of private email by Jared and Ivanka, the investigation into communications with Putin, the possible money laundering investigation, the Saudi Arabia nuclear venture investigation, the New York Attorney General Trump property values investigation. By the way, that's fraud, right? I mean, he's providing fake property values uh, to the tax officials and uh, of different set of values to his bankers. The Manhattan District Attorney uh, investigation into Trump property values, the Westchester D District Attorney investigation into Trump property values, the Trump SPAC uh, True Social investigation, right? His crazy scheme to fund his uh, fake Twitter operation. And 31, the inflated insurance claims investigation. So I want to thank Sean Hannity for coming up with uh, what looks like a pretty comprehensive list of investigations into Trump. I don't think that is the uh, damning indictment of partisanship on the part of multiple legal authorities at the uh, county, state, and federal level. Uh, that he wishes that it were. In fact, I think it's just, yeah, Trump is extremely criminal. He's been criminal everywhere he goes. Honestly, I mean, the only surprising thing is that there's not more investigations in Florida. Oh, wait, DeSantis. If DeSantis were smart, by the way, uh, you know, he really wants Trump to get out of the way. Hey, you know, um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, perhaps you could launch, uh, you know, some prosecution because you know, I'm sure he's been doing some sketchy things down in Florida as well. All right. So as we move ahead into October, again, um, I will post on my Twitter account the moment I know whether or not the, the next hearing will be in prime time or not. I suspect that it will be. I strongly suspect that the next hearing of the January 6th committee on the 28th will be held in prime time. This is supposedly the last one. I'm not sure that it will be, but um, it seems important. So uh, I keep looking for green team information. I keep looking for information with regard to direct links to violent attackers. And I think that they are holding these things close to the vest. So I don't know to what extent they are going to reserve this for the Department of Justice or whether or not they are going to reserve this for a kind of a slam dunk October surprise in late September. And in the event, um, watch also very carefully the Oath Keepers case. I will be watching that very closely as well. It is obviously important. There is a reason why the Department of Justice has uh, moved with very serious charges 
against the Oath Keepers. Okay, so a lot is happening. I want to thank you so much for your listenership. And I will try to keep you apprised as future developments occur.